0: Welcome back to the podcast, Are We There Yet? with Jamie Hardy and Sonia Ernst.
1: Hi, Sonia. How are you?
0: I'm well. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. I always say that, but at this time, it's true.
0: I am sure after this episode, you will be great. Yeah. Because we have an exciting guest here today.
1: Absolutely. Tell us about him.
0: So today, we speak with Professor Joachim Honagak. He's the president of Friedrich Alexander Universität in Erlangen-Nürnberg. He has decades of experience as a professor and co-founder of several companies in the AI and medical engineering. He served as director of medical image processing at Siemens Medical Solutions. In 2003, he joined Friedrich Alexander Universität as faculty as head of the university's pattern recognition lab. Since 2015, his presidency, at the university, has helped shape the collective vision of future leaders in Europe and abroad. So our conversation today will touch on the role of universities in not only preparing societies for changes that come with new technologies like artificial intelligence, but more importantly, shaping the future of leadership. Fascinating. Let's dive right in. Joachim, good morning. Welcome to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. How are you doing today?
2: Good morning. I'm doing great. Thank you.
0: We're very curious to learn more from you about how universities make a difference in the future, building future leaders, and how universities consider artificial intelligence when it comes to developing new leaders. Let's dive into this. The first question we have for you is, many aspects of our daily life are changing rapidly. And through these new technologies like artificial intelligence, for example, what role do you see universities play as these changes happen in our society?
2: You know, I think the role of our of universities is, is crucial. We have to educate people using these new tools, being all open-minded to these tools and try to find uh, proper applications. For instance, I mean, if I'm now traveling and if I go to Japan, for instance, I don't hesitate to take my phone to grab an image and to translate the Japanese letters into a language I understand. And that really changed my life a lot. Or if I look at my daily routine work, uh, if I write letters, uh, I also use JetGPT to improve the language, to check for errors, to recommend better formulations for certain aspects. So these are tools that should be used by academics a lot. And. We educate the next generation, and uh, the next generation has to handle this new technology and know what's possible, where you should be very clear what type of mistakes happen and uh, what you should better not use for certain applications.
0: So understanding artificial intelligence and its impact can not only help us be more productive, but a side effect of that is possibly reducing anxiety about this new tool or new technology that many people have with it.
2: Of course. I mean, in particular, if you are in academia, if you are doing research... You do not hesitate to jump over certain obstacles and to tackle problems nobody has solved before. And uh, we are eager to learn something new, to do experiments, and to check where the limits are of certain technologies. And with AI, I think we need, first of all, this open-mindedness. But we also have to be aware of uh, the fact that this is not perfect. And uh, we have to study the limitations and to understand the limitations.
1: As you are teaching younger people who may they didn't really have much of a life before the concept of AI, they weren't born yet. So, how does the generational divide between people who grew up with AI and people who know of a time before AI? How do you bridge that, and is there tension there for you?
2: That's a very, very good question. What, maybe I can ask one question back because I didn't get the question exactly. So you mean people g- having grown up with artificial intelligence in their daily life? I mean look at the modern uh, AI the tools that are available are available for 5 6 years now. So we don't have the native uh, AI people uh, grown up so far, but we have many computer scientists uh, were educated in AI for 20 30 years now, so we have uh, several people having some experience. And the technology itself took off in 2012, 2015. And what's nowadays possible is something that is really also surprising for, for all the experts. If you look at the power of Jet GPT, for instance, and the brilliance of many of the outputs the system is generating.
1: Yeah, so I think about, I'm 44 So I had email in high school, Mm -hmm. and my siblings who are older, they didn't. They didn't even have it in college Mm -hmm. necessarily. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge generational divide for us. And I'm thinking about the students who will be in college in five years.
2: Yes. Right
1: now, they're 15 years old or 12 years old. And so for them, this is reality. And this is a way that I'm wondering how people who have come to this teach to people who are native to this? Is there a tension there?
2: Well, you're actually talking to a computer scientist, so we are quite often used to this type of uh, situation where the development was uh, way faster, and we have, as teachers, adapt in a fast manner to the new technology and uh, we teach that and we are aware of uh, the fact that students know this new technology and are easily using this new technology for instance if you go back 15 years it was a completely new situation for many of us in the lecture hall that students uh, control what you were saying using google and web search to check whether those facts that you teach are true. That's something we haven't seen before. Or that students interact using social media and chat channels during the lecture and comment on what's happening in the lecture hall and what the professor is teaching. And of course, there is a certain progress. And if we look at modern technology that support writing, that support literature research, that support also uh, finding some links between scientific results that uh, in the past took a lot of time of a human being to find this. I mean, we deal with this type of support. We are faster, we are more efficient, and I think the progress in research is really supported by this technology. And we have to educate our students, make them aware of the fact that AI is not only threatening us because many people feel some uh, threats and are not sure what's going to happen for us in research. We more see the opportunities and try to find out how this really accelerates and supports research.
0: So when you think of that research that you're doing at universities, I mean, Mm -hmm. that is a part of that is also supporting the society or preparing the society for these changes
2: right and that's very important and at our university and and you know that i i'm currently serving as the president our university is a comprehensive university so we usually look at holistic approaches to solve problems and doing technological research and in parallel doing also the ethics research and discussing the ethics aspects i think that's something we have to keep in mind not developing the technology and afterwards looking backwards and and try to analyze this from a social point of view or from an ethical point of view, but do this in parallel and guide also the technical development by the other research areas. That's something we have in focus and where we have started several research projects over the past five to eight years that are exactly following this track.
0: So we're seeing now that governments are attempting to control some level of how artificial intelligence influences the way we communicate we act with each other we agree with each other considering the the ethics questions right yes so how do you see your influence in that field
2: well uh, of course the link between research uh, science and politics is quite close so we also advise politicians uh, we show the limitations we show the potential of of a certain technology and then it's a decision that has to be done by the government and and the politicians uh, looking at all the different aspects for coming up with their with their decision but we are close to politics And uh, we also have uh, the global view towards uh, these problems because different countries deal differently with this type of uh, technology and how they deal with it. And I hope that at least also for Europe, we will find a common sense in this and find a strategy how we are using or going to use this technology all over Europe in a consistent manner.
1: Yes, I'm thinking about coming together and different nations, different continents thinking about this differently. We all have a sense of where we are physically in place. So how does sustainability or even climate change play into how we are using AI and how we're building the next generation of people who will be having to deal with these major problems? How are we supporting them in the future in a time scale that's a little bit unpredictable and hard to see. Mm-hmm.
2: Looking at the topic of uh, sustainability, this is also something that requires the responsibility of universities in educating people because we have the next generation of leaders in our lecture halls, or most of them. Yeah, I mean, that's just statistics, that most of the leaders add some kind of university education. And it's our task to have in mind all the different aspects of sustainability and teach this in various uh, different fields. And AI plays also an important role as a tool for different aspects of sustainability. I mean, let me give you an example. If uh, you think about um, modern energy systems, yeah, uh, I mean, before we had the huge energy plants and uh, network and that was quite uh, simple to understand and there was not so much intelligence required to handle all uh, the uh, distribution of electric energy and now we have the distributed systems and there is a lot of artificial intelligence required to make sure that the energy supply is properly set up and properly managed And without modern technology, this wouldn't exist the way it is currently with, uh, if you just look at uh, photovoltaic systems and how individual photovoltaic systems of people's home uh, support the energy supply of of a whole nation, how that is managed.
0: So when you think of university as a part of this ecosystem, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I see, at least in Germany, universities are very proud of keeping that independent position where the teaching is independent. How does the university consider the needs of society and the needs of companies of organizations building the society while staying independent and doing mm. independent research?
2: Uh-huh. This is a very, very interesting and important question in Germany most of the universities are state funded so we are uh, not asking for tuitions of our students so everybody has access to the university education and our professors and researchers they have freedom in research and education that means uh, whatever they want to work on in their research they can do whatever they think is right. And also with respect to their lectures, they decide what they are going to teach and not somebody else. And this is very important. So we are independent researchers. We can decide on what we are working on and we can act in our ecosystem we are embedded in, as we think it's the best way to support. So there is the industry, and the collaboration with industry. No professor is required to start research projects with industry. If somebody says, this is an interesting question, a very exciting partnership with an international company, a global company, innovation leader in a particular field, I want to collaborate, then you can do this. But the collaboration contracts, of course, they are analyzed by our legal office because we have to guarantee that we are not required to do research in a field where we shouldn't do research. So export control is uh, something that is important. And the second aspect is we also have to make sure that the freedom of research and education is guaranteed. The professor should be able to use the research results also within his or her lecture. And if this is not guaranteed, a collaboration project will not be supported by the university and there will be no contract. And regarding social research and the embedding in our society of our research, this is something that is also growing out of the interaction of researchers with a society. And researchers at the end of the day decide what type of problems they address in their research and which problems they do not consider. And also the public discussion and the involvement in public discussions is something that we expect from our professors and our researchers. We ask them, you know, if there are issues discussed in public, uh, please give interviews, uh, show your opinion, support the discussion by the uh, most recent research results. But at the end of the day, the professor decides whether he or she is going into this type of uh, interaction.
0: So this is a very different setup than what we see, for example, in the United States. Now, considering what you're saying about this independence of the research in the universities, how do you still build those leaders and drive their research in the direction that is needed to provide advantage for the industry, you have to see way further ahead of the industry to be able to provide the future workforce, the future leaders. How do you do that?
2: I think the the most important ingredient for success at universities is that you have your lectures closely linked to current research. So if the topics you are teaching in the lecture hall are closely linked to research questions and current research results, then you can make sure that your students are also working on problems uh, that are uh, current problems, uh, demanding questions, and uh, they are well prepared for for a job later on. Usually, we say industry is uh, just around about 10 years behind the research at universities and advanced research labs. I mean, with the tech companies like Google and others, I think this is no longer true. So the gap uh, or the, the time delay is, is way smaller. But uh, for the average industry, I think this is still valid. So we really t- try to make sure that our content or the content of our lecture is as close as possible to current research. And particular, in the field of engineering, this is important. And this is usually also closely linked to Uh, projects with industry because they are also working on uh, important problems with their research departments. And then we understand what is their demand, what are their open questions. And if they are exciting, we will also collaborate in this particular field with them.
1: So I wonder if you have companies that are sort of at the same pace as universities now with their research um, in a way that they haven't been in the past. Does that blur the lines between sponsored research or a type of research that may not be as independent? Or do you think we can still keep it separate?
2: I, I think you're right. It's blurring this a lot. And also industry is uh, quite attractive to top researchers now. Yeah, So you also see uh, professors moving from top universities to companies because they have way more financial support, uh, way more people working with them. And to a certain extent, I would say that industry has uh, clear advantages compared to universities in, in uh, some selected fields. Yeah if you look just at the development of modern programming languages i mean this is no longer coming out of universities this is driven by the large companies
0: so two things come to mind when you're saying this the first one is it should not in my mind it should not be seen as industry versus university how can we continue to be at the forefront of independent research while collaborating with industry That's the first part of the question. The second part of the question is, do you see a way for governments or German government to better support German universities in staying independent if that is more important than the collaboration with with the industry?
2: First of all, most, and I repeat myself, most German universities are state-funded, but the basic funding is not sufficient to have the financial backup for addressing all the research topics people want to work on. So you have to find additional funding. The question regarding freedom of research and the linkage to industry, don't we give up uh, our freedom if we work with industry? That's a valid question, an important question. But you also have to see that many industries have changed their strategy in terms of their innovation processes. They have seen that the whole world is linked, that you have to have a network, that you also have to have access to the research labs of universities and and collaborate. So they are also just interested in what's going on, what type of uh, research problems are tackled, what type of solutions do exist. And we also come up with our ideas, what type of problems we want to address. And to a certain extent, we have a link to industry without having the situation that industry tells us what type of problems we have to address. And the other thing is that industry also has infrastructure that quite often cannot be ramped up to this extent by a university. So you take advantage of their infrastructure to do research that others cannot do without the industrial support. Let me give you an example. Here in the metropolitan region of Nuremberg. We have, for instance, Siemens Healthineers. They are very strong in building imaging equipment for hospitals and for medicine. And having the opportunity for our students to go into the lab of Siemens Healthineers, to have access to interfaces that nobody else has, who is just operating such a system in a clinical environment, gives us so much advantage. That's uh, really uh, key and brings us into a top level situation compared to many other research universities. And, and of course, we take advantage of this, this type of situation. I have seen several times the situation at international conferences where people ask me, where do you get the data from? Yeah? And I have to say, yeah, that's the link to industry. Without this strong link to industry, we wouldn't be able to access this type of data.
1: So you've had a long career, both in industry and in academia. What would you say are some of the most surprising events that have happened in the development of computer science and medical engineering
2: in your time? I'm also s- special as a computer scientist in a sense that I was working in the field of artificial intelligence in the early years when nobody was talking about image analysis and speech recognition systems, speech dialogue systems. We already wrote software that can deal with this type of problem. And the surprise and what nobody has expected 30 years ago is how powerful these systems are nowadays. There are several several things or several ingredients that made this possible. One is the the Internet and the huge amount of data that is available. I mean, we built speech dialogue systems using one gigabyte of training data. Now we have 170 terabytes and even more to train very, very specialized dialogue systems. We have now the situation that image databases are available in a huge amount of data, a huge amount of images that nobody thought of 30 years ago that you will ever have access to this huge amount of data. And nowadays, image analysis and image recognition software even outperforms human beings. And this is something nobody has expected 30 years ago. And the third is uh, the computational power. Yeah, If I think back to the days when I wrote my PhD thesis, I mean, what I have nowadays on my smartphone in terms of uh, computational power, I haven't had on my desk uh, that time when I wrote my PhD thesis. And I would never, ever have expected that I would have the power of a high-performance computing center of uh, the year 2000 in my pocket nowadays. Yeah.
0: So when you think of singularity… Mm-hmm. Do you see it happening anytime soon?
2: At universities, with all the tools that are available now, I think education will change a lot. Uh, this week we had the news that one university in the Czech Republic will no longer ask the students to write bachelor thesis because this can be done with artificial intelligence without uh, showing the skills of the students anymore. I think this is an extreme but it, it shows to us that things are changing, and the way we are educating our students and educate uh, also people at school, that will go into a singularity and will be completely differently in two three years from now, I'm, I'm pretty much sure.
0: I have to ask you something else. So when you think of consciousness of the artificial intelligence...
2: Okay, okay. That's an interesting question. As a technician, I I would say uh, there is a long path to go. And and so far, we should not be afraid of uh, having systems that have some kind of consciousness. Okay, but? I mean, to predict what uh, technological development will come up with in in 10 years from now is, is very difficult. And we now pretty well understand how uh, neural networks work, how uh, deep learning works, and these things can develop in a way that I would not exclude that uh, having systems that have some kind of consciousness will exist, but I think it will take a few more years from now.
0: It is also the question, what is consciousness? Right? So, how do we define it?
2: Uh, one of my colleagues also asked the question, do you think uh, artificial intelligence will ever believe in God? Yeah, This is also an interesting question. Yeah?
0: How would you define consciousness of an artificial intelligence? It's a very broad question, I know.
2: A uh, very philosophical question, I think, you know. You should not ask a computer scientist questions like this. <laughs> the question is, how do we as human beings learn and how do we evaluate our own behavior in a sense that we ha- we are conscious about what we are doing? I mean, we learn a lot, we combine what we have learned, and then we reflect. And we have seen that modern artificial intelligence systems, they collect a lot of information, they combine uh, a lot of information, and they can generate output in a way that it uh, appears like an answer of a human being. And I think uh, reflecting on what type of answers have given and what type of impact certain answers might have uh, in in the sense of a conscious type of behavior and evaluating on a certain meta level, Uh, this might happen on a computer system as well. But that was very philosophical and difficult. I'm I'm more a guy who is computing gradients and tries to optimize things.
0: You're way more than just a computer scientist.
1: I've got one question for you. Are we there
2: yet? No. No very simple if you think we have already the limits of things we can do forget about it we will have a boost of innovation in the upcoming years and i'm pretty sure 10 years from now we will sit here and we will all say we didn't expect this type of performance of ai algorithms that we see nowadays just look back what happened with jet gpt it's out now for one year If you discussed with others the potential of AI two years ago, people were not so much talking about large language models and dialogue systems. They were more talking about autonomous driving and robotics. That's what they had in mind. And boom, overnight, an application popped up. And within a few days, millions of users are applying this technology. And I think this type of disruption we will observe several times in the upcoming years.
1: Maybe you could think about the success that you just spoke about with ChatGPT and the year that it's been out and the explosion of the leadership of that company in the last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that was, you know, we have from, as I understand it, we have the people who are sort of want to put the brakes on AI or at least have more regulation. And then we have more the people on the other side that say, Let's power forward. AI will figure this out for us or we're not as scared about where it's going. I see Mm -hmm. this as sort of a leadership issue here and how AI folds into what happened with this company. It wasn't a medical supply company. It was an AI company that this happened to. So, Was AI a part of the cause of this itself?
2: I think uh, dealing with uh, business models uh, based on modern artificial intelligence is a real challenge because, to a certain extent, we do not even know what type of disruption is going to happen, what the opportunities are that are opening up with that, and also what the threats are at the end of the day that uh, come with this type of technology. And for that reason, I think it's very important to discuss also ethical aspects, not retrospectively, once the technology is available, but doing this in parallel. And if you are nowadays using JetGPT and, for instance, you want to generate an image with a certain person, it will tell you, look, we are not generating pictures. Uh, with uh, uh, people with the ID of certain people, but we only do this in an anonymous manner. So you will not end up with an image showing uh, the Pope in a bar, yeah, but we all know that the technology is able to do things like that, and someone will be able to misuse this technology for that.
0: it's It's going to be interesting how how
1: we as a society move forward with us. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. You know what? I think that AI could use more philosophers and that computer scientists can access that part of who they are when they're building AI. What do you think?
0: There's way more to answer here than just how technology works. The questions of ethics I found very fascinating. So that's something to focus on.
1: And also the idea that a university has taken away essay as a tool to gauge performance and intellect is mind-blowing to me. I really wonder just in the next couple of years how these things will change and how we will shape our future leadership you know, in, in ways that we haven't even thought of yet.
0: You know what, Jamie? I think our next guest is going to be able to answer some of these questions from a very different perspective. I'm excited about that.
1: Ooh, I look forward to that, too. See you soon, Sonia.
0: See you soon, Jamie. And um, everyone, thank you for listening to our podcast, Are We There Yet?, No